as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, as we look at the significance of what this victory really does mean to us as recorded in God's holy word in 1 Corinthians 15. Because really, truthfully, today changes everything. Get over here, Ethel. I love you. I mean, today truly does change everything. Christianity rises and falls on Easter Sunday. Christianity rises and falls over the veracity, the truthfulness of a resurrection. If Jesus' body and Jesus' life is still contained in the tomb, if there was no resurrection, life is vanity. Faith is useless. Our sins still remain. If there wasn't a resurrection and we're here and we have faith, I love what scripture says. We're pitiful. I mean, really, it says of all people, if our hope is only in Jesus in this life, and if he's in a grave, then of all people, we are the most to be pitied. And again, I love, I love the truthfulness of scripture because it will say to us this, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he didn't actually pay the price of our sins and the father accept it, we're still on our sins. He basically says this, you might as well eat and drink today. You might as well go home and have the most fun you could have because you know what? Tomorrow you die. But the reality is this, is that we believe that God, in his love and his mercy and his power, he raised his son from the dead. And because of that reality, everything changes. You know, Christianity is basically the belief that, that God himself will do that which we couldn't do for ourselves. That, that God would bridge a gap between our sins and his holiness. That God would write a really big check for the debt we owe holy God. Here's the point. You see, our sin needs to be paid and covered. We could pay it ourselves or God could pay it for us. And the reality is that God, his son, would come and he would come and live for us and die with us. And what he was really doing on that cross is, is he's paying a debt that he didn't owe. I mean, he's becoming a sin that he didn't have. And the question that we all want to ask is, did it work? I mean, did it work? Was that sacrifice sufficient for yours and my sin? You wonder how bad our sin is. Look at the gore of the cross. And the only way we know it was sufficient was that empty tomb. Let me put it in banking terms. You got a big debt and you want to write a check against the big debt. So you can hand somebody a check for your big debt. And the first thing you want to know is, well, is there sufficient funds? Is there, is this check good? Are you really making a payment that's going to be good? And how do you know if the payment is a good payment? It's when the funds are removed and they're transferred. And the empty tomb is a declaration that holy God accepted the son's sacrifice for us. Our sins are gone. We're forgiven. Life reigns. Three things we're going to look at become a reality because of Easter Sunday. Our faith isn't futile. Our faith isn't futile. Second thing we're going to look at is death isn't deadly. Death isn't deadly. And lastly, that life isn't empty. All because of one sacrifice. All because of that, everything changes. 
Death is defeated and life reigns. Let's look to how Paul says that this is of first importance. And if it's true, if this story is true, and I believe it is, this should have the first importance of all of history. If it's true, this should be the most important thing that ever did or will happen until he comes again. And if it's true, this should be the most important thing in your life. If it's true, your life should revolve around this reality. If it's true, your life should be built on this reality. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Skip down and read 12 through 26. And then we'll finish with the very end, 54 through 58. This is an inspired word of God. And he tells us, as he told the church of Corinth, Paul writes... Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. That he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom at the time this was written are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born... Paul writes, he also appeared to me. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then listen, our preaching, my preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify that, about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And listen, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you and I are still in our sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are the all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, but by a man has, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. This sounds like last week's sermon, doesn't it? But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits then, and then the coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom uh, to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your work, your life, your labor is not in vain. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear the victory chant in heaven. God, that you give us minds to understand what Jesus really did accomplish for you and for us. Father, our hearts are prone to wander. They're prone to disbelief. They're, they're stony because of sin, and they're often cold. God, would you come and would you talk to each one of our hearts? Maybe for some, give us a new heart. Hearts of faith, hearts that believe, hearts that beat for you. Because you live, our hearts should beat and live for you. And God, come with us in your power, the resurrected power of Jesus in a way that, Lord, we're made more like you because we're here. And God, may may the victory shout be heard through our lives as we walk out of here. God, would you empower our feet to walk in your reality and your victory for your glory. The things that I say that are merely my opinion are wrong. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain what Paul said was of first importance, the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you make those, use those things to make us more like him. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline there for you. We're going to look at these three things. Because of Jesus' resurrection victory. It's such good news. It's not a victory we just got to look at and observe, but it's a victory that should intersect our hearts, our lives, and our minds. The first thing we're going to realize is this. Because of that resurrection Sunday, our faith isn't futile. Our faith isn't futile. Faith to Christians is a very important thing. Faith to Christianity, according to God's word, is what unites us to a holy God. That we believe that scripture teaches us that we're not made right before God because of what we do and our righteous acts. They're like filthy rags in God's sight. But we believe that the Bible clearly teaches us that by faith, we are made righteous. Well, what kind of faith? You see, faith isn't what saves us. It's the object of our faith is what saves us. And the object of our faith as Christians is that is in Jesus Christ. We have faith that he lived the life that we were supposed to live. We have faith that he did everything that the Father asked him to do so the Father can maintain his holiness and still love sinners like us. We have faith, we have faith that Jesus went to the cross as it said in verse 3 for our sins. We have faith that he became the holy one, the spotless one, became our filth, our sins on the cross. We have faith that God accepted his life and death for us. We have faith that that death and that life was good enough because that tomb was empty. We have faith that because he lives, we live. You see, our our faith is either alive or dead based on the object of our faith. And if the object of our faith is dead, all that we believe is useless. All that we believe is futile. 
If Jesus is still in the grave, we are still in our sins. If Jesus is still in the grave, heaven is not opened up. If Jesus is still in the grave, all those empty seats of loved ones who have gone before us, they're, they're gone. I mean, this, this is so important to us because we have placed our faith in another. Is it blind faith, true faith? Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is what we believe was sufficient to open up heaven, was sufficient to make us new. It was enough. That he actually did die for our sins. And his resurrection is our victory. But if the object of our faith is dead, we're just futile. Again, I love what scripture says. If it's true, if it's, if it's not true, let's just go party. Let's go to try to dull the pain. Because life's painful, isn't it? And if it's not true and we don't have hope, let's just go dull the pain until it's all over. He says, I want to give you more. Let me give you an example of this, that faith is a vehicle to an object. What's your favorite car growing up? What was your favorite car? I guarantee you guys, girls, you may not, you might think, I don't know, whatever I had. But for all guys in here, there's a car that we loved, probably our first one. There's a car that we probably had a, 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 a love affair with that was really kind of odd. I know I did. You should have seen my first car that I just loved. It was a 1970 Chevy Malibu. Three primary colors were rust, <laughs> green. The top was kind of black, but my front bumper was blue. And that car was awesome. 350 V8 in that thing. Whew. I'm not going to tell my mom and dad how fast that car would go. But have, you know, I had faith in that car. I had faith that that car could get me anywhere. I had faith that if right now I got in that car, that car could bring me to New York City. I could be in the good the Big Apple with that car. But if that car was dead in my garage, if the battery was dead and it just doesn't work and it won't turn on, I could have faith in that car. I say, man, it's a great car. It's awesome. I love that car. But if it's dead in the driveway and it can't even back out of the driveway, it's useless. You see, if, if our faith in Jesus and that faith is a vehicle that takes us to God... If our faith is, is dead in the driveway or dead in the garage, if he's still in the tomb, it's useless. It's futile. And God says, it's not stuck in the tomb. I'm alive. And because he is alive, we have hope. Because he is alive, truly our sins are forgiven. New life has been given to us. Here's the good news about Christianity. You don't have to hope against hope. You don't have to wish on a star. You don't have to hope that this stuff is right. Our faith isn't futile because Jesus lives. I got a really good friend. He's awesome. You'd like him a lot. He's read through the Bible and he, he, he likes the teachings of Jesus. But he said things to me like this. He says, you know, I, I don't need to believe in a resurrection. I, I don't need to believe in those miracles. I just think that Jesus's teachings are best. And I think that we should follow his teachings. According to God's word, that's futile. That, that he didn't come just to be a moral teacher. He didn't come just so your life could be a little bit better. He didn't come to just to dull the pain a little bit more. He came to give you life. He came to give you life abundantly. He came to take away your sins. He came to bring you to the Father. He came to give you a future that's guaranteed. Your faith in him isn't futile. Because he lives 
your faith lives. Not only that, is death is not deadly. Because of the reality of the resurrection, death isn't deadly. In verses 54 through 57, we see that reality. One of my favorite verses, a verse I'll use every time I do a funeral memorial service, is a peculiar verse out of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 116.15, God's word says this to us. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones, or the death of his family, or the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. How could God call death precious? Well, in his eyes, it's a homecoming. Think of Jesus. Jesus, who just washed his disciples' feet and just had a, a meal with them. In John 14, he says this to his disciples. He says, gentlemen, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go to the Father in John 14, 1 through 4. But he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my Father's home, there's many rooms. And I'm going to get one ready for you. Because why? Because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the godly one. I'm the most precious one. And in my sight, the death of in my Father's sight is ultimately precious. Because I'm going to bring you home. Interesting that word precious in the Hebrew can also be translated costly costly in the sight of the Lord as the death of his godly ones. Is death not costly? Do some of you not still feel the pain of the empty seats around you? Death is costly. I love the fact that Jesus knew death was costly. I mean, he knew it so much that, that he would stand at the tomb of a friend named Lazarus, who they said he really loved, and he was about ready to call his name, Lazarus, come back to life, Lazarus, come out of that tomb. And yet, before he called him out, he wept. Because he knew that death was costly. He knew that death was painful. And I just love a savior that weeps over a dead man's tomb that is his buddy that he's about ready to bring back to life. Because life is costly. But it's also precious because it's a homecoming. Because of Easter, death is not deadly. We are going to make it home. Let me ask you this question. How much would a snapshot into the future, into your life, change the way you live your life now? Now, just go with me for this for a minute. How much would, if if God came to you in some amazing mystical moment, maybe uh, at lunch today, and was going to show you the future, and was going to show you at a time down the road who you are and what you're doing, and if he showed you a picture, a snapshot of you down the road, and here's what you knew, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And, and here's what else you know, that my, my, my loved ones in him are, are going to be okay. If God gave you that snapshot into the future and it proved that you would be okay, how much living would you do now? My guess is if you realize that, hey, the burdens I'm, going to, I'm wrestling with now, they're going to go away. The things that I'm struggling with now, it's going to fade away. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And if I'm going to be okay, then I could really live now, what if he gave you that snapshot? It's interesting. For those of us, we've heard loved ones who are given phrases like this. You have three months to live. I mean, you have three months to live and maybe that dreadful disease, cancer is taking over your body. And that three months to live, you're not doing much living. You're just preparing for dying. But Jesus gives us a snapshot into the future. He wants us to show us what the future is going to be. That's what the resurrection is all about. Listen to this. It is God's snapshot of you in the future. 
How's that, Jeff? Listen to what God's word says. First John three, I want to read verse two, but first one is so good. I got to read it too. First John three, one says this, see what kind of love the father has lavished on sinners like us, that we should be called the children of God. And in Christ Jesus, that is what we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. But listen to verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. If you, by God's grace and faith, love Jesus, you are God's child now, secured, done deal. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus' resurrection, when he walked around and he, he was seen by 500 people, when he said to Thomas, touch me, see that I'm real, what he was showing to us was a snapshot of the future. We're going to be okay. We're going to be like him. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. In Christ Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Easter is Jesus' snapshot of the future. He points to himself and says, this is what you're going to be like. And shouldn't that free us to truly live from now until this point until we see him face to face? Do you get that? My brothers and sisters, God wants you to live now. He wants you, he tells you your faith isn't futile and death isn't deadly. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever has entangled you, you're gonna be like him and you're gonna be with him. Death is no longer deadly. We know how the story ends. It's got a great ending in Christ Jesus. And he says, now go live, go live. Don't prepare to die. I've already died for you. Be free, be free to dance. Be free to know I'm for you. I love you. I've taken your sin. I've opened up heaven. Have fun. Celebrate life in me. We can live up to that point where we see him face to face. We're gonna be okay. Do you know that? We're gonna be okay. In Christ Jesus, you know that you're gonna be okay. Do you know that? In Christ Jesus, you're going to be okay. You know that? In Christ Jesus, you're going to be okay. In Christ Jesus, we're going to live. Our faith isn't futile. Death isn't deadly. And lastly, life isn't empty. Verse 58. I love the way God in his beauty and through Paul's pen ends this passage on the resurrection. He wants to say, it's not just about the future. It's about your life now. Sometimes we think that Christianity is only about that day down the road when our heart stops beating. Listen, it's so much more. It's life abundantly now. He says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord, your work, your life, your labor is not in vain. Here's what he's saying. Because of the resurrection, abound. May your life abound in Jesus, because what you do for the Lord matters. Did you hear that? What you do for the Lord matters. Here's what he says, what you do for the Lord, it endures. We're not just making sandcastle lives. All right, it's spring break time. So some of you have come back off of spring break. Some of you might be on spring break. Uh, what kind of beachgoer are you? Are you a, a sun, sit and soak kind of person? For me, that's, that's much, I need more activity. Gotta be doing some things. 
playing some kind of game. For some of you, you may be making sandcastles. I'm always amazed. I mean, some, the amount of uh, time and energy that goes into building sandcastles. Are they not amazing? I mean, some of them are incredible. But they never last, do they? I mean, you can walk down the beach, you can admire somebody's work and say, man, that's really impressive. But really, all they are is one good wave away from being nothing. You've never walked on the beach year after year after year and said, oh, I remember that. Oh, that's cool. I'm still here. Never there. It's gone. Do you ever wonder if your life's a sandcastle life? That you're just one good wave away from it all not mattering? It all washing away? I mean, come on. Am I the only one? I mean, do you ever, do you ever wake up and say, does this matter? Uh, this rat race, does anybody win? I mean, this grind, I mean, what, what's it all for? I mean, is it all just vanity? Is it all just stupid? Is it all just vapor? Is it all just fade away? Am I just one good wave away from nothing? And here's what Jesus says. No, you're not. Because I live. Because I live, your life is not going to be empty. And what you do in me, for me, through me, it will remain. I love it. And in some way, and I don't know how, it's going to last. Your life isn't empty. Every, every wedding I do, I will always talk about uh, Matthew 7. Matthew 7, Jesus tells an amazing story. He tells a story of a wise man and a foolish man. And if you look closely at what Jesus calls a wise man and a foolish man, you might be surprised at how similar they are and how similar they are in so many circumstances. He says this, both the wise man and the foolish man, they heard God's word. They both were close enough to God to hear that God had a way for them to live. But the, the foolish man says, you know what? My way's better. <laughs> Who's God? I mean, come on, this ancient Bible. I'm just going to do my own thing. Live my own life. Be my own man. Be my own woman. And he's called or she's called a fool. But the wise man does this. He listens to God's word and says, that's the way I want to live. I have faith. I have faith in him that his way is best. He says, that's the one who builds his life, not on sandcastles, but on Christ the solid rock. But you know what amazes me about that? Both the wise man and the fool had the reins of life come down. Just because you're a child of God, just because of Resurrection Sunday, doesn't mean that the rains aren't going to come down on our life. It doesn't mean that the floodwaters aren't going to rise. They will. I mean, that wise man who was building on Christ the solid rock, everything he owned was threatened by the floods of life. Some of you guys can relate. But here's the good news. On Christ the solid rock. We will stand. We will stand with Christ Jesus. We're not just one wave away. We can endure with him. Are you a wise or foolish builder? Romans 10 verse 9 says this. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you hear how ridiculously gracious and loving that was? It says this. Let me say it again. If you confess with your mouth a miracle that you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, God in the flesh, King of kings and Lord of lords, that you believe and you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in another miracle, you believe in the miracle that God raised him from the dead, that he became your sins and he conquered your sins. You believe that he lives. And if you believe in your heart that he lives, that God raised from the dead, he says, and you shall be saved. Your faith isn't futile. Death isn't deadly. And your life isn't empty.
What are you building your life on? What is the object of your faith? Please don't tell me it's you. What do you put your faith in? Is your faith in Jesus? If so, it's a living faith. And we have hope. This is a victory of first importance. This should be most important in your life. We can believe without futility. We can live. We've seen the future. He's shown us. And we can live knowing what we do matters. Jesus, he died for my sins. Jesus, he gave me his victory. Jesus, he died for your sins. Jesus, he shares with you his victory. Jesus, build your life on him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this ultimate victory that is ours. So many times we see a victory that others, someone else won. We saw, see the champagne flowing. We see the hats be given out. We see the band play and we just stay far away. But the greatest victory that ever happened on this face of the earth was accomplished through the work of your son. And it's a victory that heaven can't contain. But he says, I got to share this victory because I want it for the father and I want it for my children. And I just thank you that today, today I sip and my brothers and sisters sip from the chalice of the victory in Christ Jesus. And because he lives, we live. And because he lives, our sins are dead. And because he lives, our faith isn't futile, death isn't deadly, and our life isn't empty. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.